food gets thrown away from restaurants, homes, catering companies, and any other place with a kitchen. Most of this food gets thrown away when it is still edible, and it could provide nutrition to somebody who's hungry. Just like Airbnb makes use of excess living capacity, Olio was started to connect excess food with people who want to eat that food. There are numerous challenges with this idea. How do you control quality and ensure the food is safe? How do you make money as a business? How do you solve the chicken and egg problem and make sure that you get hungry users and people with food to give away at the same time? Lloyd Watkin is a software engineer at Olio, and he joins today's episode to describe how the platform works, how Olio is built, and how the company plans to scale their large base of volunteers. It's a fascinating set of operational and engineering issues, as well as business questions, because Olio is has a flavor of charity to it as well, but you'll understand that as you listen to the episode. Before we get started, I want to mention that I'm hiring for a new company that I'm starting, and I can't talk about the product yet, but I'm looking for an engineer in the Bay Area with significant experience in React.js and some sort of cloud, whether that's Heroku or Firebase or Amazon Web Services. You can email me at jeff at softwareengineeringdaily.com or check out the job posting at softwareengineeringdaily.com slash jobs. I would love to hear from you. Lloyd Watkin, you are the lead developer at Olio. Welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thanks very much. Nice to meet you. It's good to meet you too. So Olio is working on a problem that I know a lot of people have thought about, and that is the problem of food sharing. Can you explain what food sharing is? Yeah, so essentially, I think all of us have probably got that one piece of food in the in the cupboard. So there maybe the, the packet of lentils that you know you should eat and have a healthy diet, but you probably don't get around to. Or the kind of the bag of salad that you picked up when you bought the pizza that you intended to eat, but realistically the pizza was, you know, was enough and was too tempting by itself. And rather than sort of throw that away, it's and you know, waste the all the resources that gone into that, so the growing, the transport, the packaging, the advertising, the storing, the cooling, the transport back to your home, the refrigeration, share it with someone else so that doesn't go to waste. This is a problem that I think people have looked at their own lives and, and said, I could build a startup around food sharing. And then they look at it a little more closely and they see this problem just seems completely impossible because there's so many things that makes food sharing hard to implement in practice. Why is it hard to implement food sharing as an application? I mean, technically, it's not a difficult problem. I think it's more around society and our behavior. A big thing that's kind of changed over the last decade is is services such as Lyft and Airbnb. You know, who would have thought 10 years ago that you would have a, a stranger stay in your spare room? And now that's kind of become part of, you know, almost normality. We can start introducing other kinds of peer-to-peer sharing that we wouldn't have been able to get away with previously. Okay. And even then, though, you've got the chicken and egg problem of you have to bootstrap this somehow, assuming you're going to follow the uh, same kind of network effects model as the the ride-sharing world. Give me a description for how Olio has approached the chicken and egg problem. Yeah, so it is it is often an issue. So we sometimes have new users join us and send an email, say, hey, no one's sharing in my area, what do we do? 
And that's something we came across uh, quite a bit to start with. So we implemented what we call our ambassador program. And that's essentially users that are really keen on reducing food waste can can get resources from us. So posters, social links, so, so pre-written um, tweets and Facebook posts and links to articles. And then lots of people sort of will go and they'll talk to their friends. They'll share, share on social media. They'll even post us up in their, in their local area. They'll put flyers through letterboxes. And that kind of gets the, the process moving. And then it only takes one person to start sharing something. And that person, you know, and once that sort of interaction has taken place, you know, you could then get two people, four people. And then said the network effect grows but yeah, in new areas, it's, you know, I'm, I live quite rurally and there, there's obviously nothing really going on where I am. But I had some, I was moving my dogs to a new kind of dog food um, and had half a bag left of, you know, the big biscuits posted on. And I was really surprised that within sort of uh, two hours, someone had requested it. And it was a lady just around the corner. And, you know, I met my new neighbor and since then she's posted things on there and you know it's it's very slow in my area but you can see the number of users is creeping up and the number of things being shared is slowly increasing so it's it just takes that that one spark um and to get that magical olio moment and then it, it all sort of starts rolling i can imagine that i certainly had that the first time i used airbnb this interaction you have that is facilitated by new technology, but it's it's a very human interaction. And, and once you experience it, you're like, oh, I, I want to recreate that or I want to take part in this community. So I imagine that the retention is pretty strong. Can you describe like how the customer or the user base has grown over time and, and how strong the retention is? Like, do people churn out or give me a perspective for the community? Yeah, so once we can get users to experience what we call their aha moment or their olio moment, which is, you know, a lot of people will feel, oh, well, I'm not going to post my day old bag of salad or that tin of beans I've got in the back of the cupboard because nobody will want it. And that, that's a real barrier. But once we've managed people, managed to convince people to share that and they get the sort of the quick request, because, you know, all the most, a lot of the food on Olio does go within, you know, a couple of hours. And I think it's something silly, like 95% is gone within one day. Once you get that first sort of aha, oh my God, this actually works, you know, get over that barrier, things grow very quickly. The people we don't manage to convince, we the churn rate is a bit high at the moment. But again, we have lots of opportunities to re-engage those people. And, you know, when they, if say we manage to get them back in six months later, the community around them has grown much more and there's a lot more on there. Um, and so that their sort of willingness to get involved is much higher. Have you eaten much food off of Olio? I have. <laughs> we, I believe there was a flatlet that had ended and the tenant had left a load of food behind. My girlfriend is a massive bargain hunter. She can get something for free. She is uh, on there. And I believe one night we actually collected around three bags full of uh, tins and dried food, which I'd completely forgot about until I, until I dragged that memory up. So, yes, definitely have that food off there. Um, my personal sort of um, aha moment was I was building a new chicken coop and I needed some roof felt. And the most bizarre coincidence ever happened that someone happened to post some roof felt 
on there. I've never seen Rufeld on there before or since, but it happened to be there just the right time. And it turned out I even knew the person that posted it as well. Didn't wasn't aware that they were an earlier user. Collected that, and you know something that he would have thrown away. You know, is it wasn't enough Rufeld to do anything seemingly useful with, but it was just the right size to do my uh, chicken coop. So that was brilliant. That is bizarre. It was it very much was. <laughs> How did you know what roof felt is? <laughs> okay, it's it's like a tar bitumen substance that you put on the roof to yeah, not important really. This is not just a food sharing company. This is a place where people can post things and other people can pick things up. Yes, yeah. So I mean, our main focus uh, for the company is to to unlock the value of you know food that would otherwise go to waste. But there are so many other things that go to waste that you know have value to somebody you know the the famous saying of uh, one man's uh, rubbish is another man's gold and you'd be some surprised if some of the things gone there you, know, you could there's you know moving boxes but even my my son does what they call junk modeling so you know you you get some empty plastic bottles some old toilet or to you know and and children can have fun using those substances and make rockets and all kinds of things so uh, you know you never know what is going to be useful to another person i think you've raised a series a and that's a total you you've raised a total of 8.2 million dollars or something like that what you've described so far sounds like a friendly you know bulletin board exchange how is it a business that's something we're working really hard on at the moment um, in terms of thinking. So we're exploring avenues. We went down a process of having donations in the app. So if someone posted something that was potentially of high value, I think I think at one point we had a piano on there, for example. A person posting the item <laughs> could uh, request a donation to a, a cause and we would have a small percentage of that. That didn't really work out, so we, we've kind of rolled that back now. Another thing we're working on is we have another group of volunteers, which we call our Food Waste Heroes, who are an amazing set of people that will go into a business in near where they live, and at the end of the day, they will collect the food that the, the business couldn't sell. So this could be a supermarket and sort of bakery items, fruit, fruit, vegetables, that kind of thing, or a sandwich shop, so their baguettes, their hot food. It's all perfectly edible, but obviously a sandwich shop can't sell sandwiches from yesterday. And they will take that away and they will redistribute it to the local community. And the amazing thing that happens with that is because we're using a volunteer community, we can do that at a... So we charge the companies to provide this service and, and manage the volunteers. But that service actually costs less for the business than it would be to put the food into the, the bin. So, you know, not only are they winning kind of environmentally, but they're also helping the local community and they're also saving themselves some money at the same time. So you've got kind of a a trivector of of good (laughs) for them. Let's say that I want to eat a meal on Oleo. I'm hungry. It's almost lunchtime. What do I need to do? So you can download the app from uh, Google Play or the App Store. Or alternative, we have a growing web app version, which is is kind of in its early days, but we're adding features to it as quickly as we can. You sign up, you set your current location, and 
once you've gone through the onboarding process, you'll be shown a list of uh, local food items, or you know, if you want to also see non-food items, you can. There's also a set of wanted items on there as well, just to mention that. So if you know I'm cooking a meal this evening and I don't have any coriander, but I don't want to buy a huge amount of coriander, there might be someone in the area that has some. So you click on the item you're interested in, you'll receive more details. You'll see a photo. Um, you'll see the details about the person posting it. They may have a rating to let you know that they're trustworthy. You hit request. You send the person a message. Uh, they get back to you. You have a quick discussion about when you know when you're going to collect it. Arrange that between yourselves. They mark the item as you know that that uh, Jeff's going to collect it. It becomes non-available to everyone else now. You collect. You enjoy. You you win. And what about quality control? You know, if if I show up and I you know I pick up somebody's like somebody labels something as food, and then I show up and it's like a bag of trash. And and it's like what like and they're like no it's food and I'm like this is a bag of trash you're just trying to get me to take out your trash and they say no it's food it's it's food you got to take it and go away how do you regulate against that kind of bad actor yeah so uh, that's actually that's one of the worries that a lot of people have you know around sort of food poisoning or, or that kind of thing happening in the sort of roughly four years that Oli has been around that's never happened a single time so it's you know most people are good people and why would you go to the effort of you know posting your trash on there that would that would not make sense but we have community guidelines so you know you should never post anything that you're you're unwilling to eat yourself we also outline the difference between best before and used by so best before is like you know this product was great on this date after that it might not be so great versus used by which is you know after this date it shouldn't be used and also from interactions we have uh, ratings so you know if you did go and pick up the trash or at least turn up to potentially pick up the trash you could rate that user uh, you know, give them a low rating or even report them if it's sort of uh, that bad. And we are, you know, we're very on top of reports like that because they are, very, you know, our community is our lifeblood. Um, so we look after them very well. But if a user repeatedly gets low ratings as well, they are, they are emailed and put on a sort of 30-day suspension, you know, with the reasons why. And and if 30 days they come back and, you know, if they are a repeat offender, then they'll be removed from the app. That best before and used by differentiation. Uh, th- I think that's how a lot of supermarkets make their hot bar. So you have uh, a supermarket like Whole Foods that also serves food. They have the hot bar where you've got casseroles and you know sautéed green beans and and things like that. And you know you walk up to it and it's like oh eight ninety nine uh, for a pound of this stuff. And a lot of times they're making use of best buy versus the used buy date. So, you know, they have green beans that are best buy August 3rd, and then they can use those in a green bean casserole as long as that green bean casserole gets sold within five days. And so, like, that's... Yeah, so I well, I know in the UK, if you if a store puts uh, hot food out, they have to, it has to be sold within two hours or it needs to be taken off the shelf. Um, and again, that... that traditionally that food would then be thrown away with oleo that would go in a fridge and someone will come and collect it at the end of the day and and redistribute it are there legal or health liabilities to creating a food sharing platform yes i'd imagine so so i'm not being sort of uh, from the tech aspect of things i'm not sort of au fait with the the legal 
you know the detailed legalities of it but we have we work very closely with some sort of uh, food and catering lawyers that sort of help draft up our agreements and terms and things like that and we're always you know as we do new parts of the project and as we grow we are aware that we become a bigger risk so we we're always working on that to make sure that everyone is safe as possible well let's talk a little bit about the software can you describe the infrastructure and the uh, mobile apps to me yeah, sure. So the mobile apps are written in Ionic uh, version one, which, as you may know or may not, it's uh, it's end of life, uh, so it's becoming really hard support. So currently, we are um, in working with a really great development agency in Bristol in the UK called Simple Web, who actually built the original version of Olio uh, way back just before I started. They're helping us get going on a React Native rewrite, which is going to be quite exciting. So we do a mini design refresh and sort of to reevaluate our current features and you know get something new and shiny out there. So that's hoping to come out by Christmas of 2018. In terms of the back end, we run entirely on Amazon AWS. It's a Ruby on Rails back end, although we have some Node.js in sort of lambdas, lambda functions for doing image processing. Um, we use a job queue using Redis servers and our database uh, is uh, Amazon Aurora, which is their MySQL fork. And that's, that's been absolutely brilliant. We also use then use S3 and Route 53 and the, the load balances. It's just standard stuff beyond that. I think you have, you have some messaging in the app, right? Like I can send a, a private message or send a message in a chat room to somebody. Yeah, that's correct. So I've built a couple apps where we used, I think, Firebase. Firebase has some really easy design patterns for building chat room-like applications. What did you use for the chat room backend in it? Because with chat, you kind of have this interesting push situation where, you know, I send a message to you and the message gets registered on the server and then the server needs to send a push notification to somebody else's phone. And you have this interesting pub-sub problem. It's not necessarily a hard problem. There's just a lot of different ways you can solve it. So I'm curious how you solved it. Yeah. So, I mean, our messaging system is actually really basic. There's there's nothing too intelligent about it. It's, it's literally, you know, post request, notif- mobile notification push. All the messages are grouped around conversations. So you don't get one big, long sort of set of data for it. I'm actually from an XMPP background and sort of my my dream originally was to get this uh, our messaging uh, built in XMPP. Uh, that's probably a longer term goal and I know it would be the you know it would be a really great scalable solution for that. But right now as we're still small it's it's you know don't do work you don't have to until you're well. Don't do work until it hurts I think is the uh, the phrase. Of course. So this is a really interesting company. It's a really interesting project. There's a lot of different areas you could work on, and it seems like some of those areas would be probably not necessarily dead ends, but would be, you know, you'd get less bang for your buck. And so I imagine there is some effort on finding what the focus should be, because it sounds like you've got a lot of small communities strewn throughout the world and you know you kind of have to manage all these different communities you've got volunteers in some of the communities you've got you know some areas where there's more food being spread than others you've got some areas where there's roofing materials that are being spread and people can use those 
how do you wrap your mind around the problem set that Olio has right now and decide what specific things to focus your small amount of time on and, and your small amount of engineering resources on? Yeah, sure. So a lot of it comes back from uh, feedback from our community. So as I said, we, we have a volunteer program. I think the most recent numbers are that we have 21,000 volunteers signed up. So, I mean, even though Olio itself is a small company with a small team, we actually have kind of a, a massive extended family, so to speak, that, that really help us in terms of what we need to focus on or where, where, we need, where they need help, I should say. We also look, take quite a look, deep look at the data as well. And the, the other thing we have is we eat our own dog food. So pretty much I mean, everyone in the company is very much behind reducing food waste, whether they've come from the type of person that loves a bargain, some people from environmental-wise, other people you know, just because they hate food waste. And so we all pretty much actively use the app. I mean, it's the, the, the team members that are in London, it's much easier for them to use it with a big community. Our volunteer managers actually go out and they do collections themselves. So they see the problems and they feel the, the, the pain of anything that's not ideal. And then that comes back and we, we make things better for everyone. And yeah, the other thing is that we do things manually so until they become painful and then we start automating them. So as we, we're reaching the, the point now where our Food Waste Hero program is becoming difficult to manage manually. So we're finding the most painful bits and we are automating them out to, to help our volunteers on board quicker and find information quicker, but also to, to means that our volunteer managers can then spend their time working on new communities rather than sort of managing the existing ones. What is the Food Waste Hero problem? So the Food Waste Hero problem is, is what I talked about earlier, where we work with businesses that want to reduce their food waste and their, their costs, as well as help the local community. And we work with them by send, arranging groups of volunteers to go in sort of once or twice a day, every day, or you know twice a week, depending on the business and the size. They collect food and they uh, take it away and they redistribute to the local community. And uh, we see posts, we have a sort of a private Facebook group for these volunteers and you would not believe the amount of food that gets saved by them. There's a lady that lives on the island of Jersey in the Channel Islands in the UK who joined as a volunteer originally, is now a staff member, who's amazingly enthusiastic and she has a goal of making Jersey the, the world's first uh, zero food waste island, I believe. But she regularly posts photos of literally carloads of food that would have gone in the bin that they've saved and redistributed across the island. It's mind-blowing how much there is. How does that fit into her life? When does she go and collect food and how does she distribute it to people and what's her interaction with the Olio platform? So originally, she, I say she joined as a volunteer. I believe she'd only fairly recently moved to Jersey, really cares about volunteering and food waste, found the app. And I believe she went and just started talking to businesses on the island and you know, maybe a friendly local sandwich shop to start with and just started sharing stuff and then went and talked to a, a supermarket and got involved and got some friends involved. And, you know, as you're meeting people, sharing this food out, people want to get involved and it, it all just, you know, grows and grows and grows from there. Uh, so, but her interaction with the platform. So uh, let's say on a given day, she's going to go and collect a bunch of food from different restaurants 
So I guess, does she interact with the app while doing that? Yeah, so we have a volunteer hub, which helps our volunteers organize their collections and things. Once she's collected it, you know, take it home and just start taking photos and uploading it. And then, you know, people in the local area are notified about the things she's uploaded. Cool. And then they come by her house to pick up the food? Yeah, that happens with a lot of people. Um, For those who are kind of uh, not comfortable with that, obviously, they they will go somewhere more public and and arrange a collection there. But uh, most people will have people come to their house, you know, just on the doorstep. And it's a really great way to meet neighbors. I remember quite some time ago, I was, I'd posted, I think it was a salt and pepper shaker that, you know, we'd somehow we'd ended up with multiple in the house. And someone came to collect them. And he had told me a story that he'd just moved to the area and he was using Olio to meet new people, but also to teach himself how to get around. Um, so he was walking to all these different areas of Bristol and, you know, just discovering his area. That is pretty cool. I mean, why not? If you're looking to get to know an area, you download Olio, you start walking around and getting free stuff and meeting people. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, Olio is, it's a food sharing app, but it goes way beyond just food sharing. I mean, you, we have, there's obviously a lot of people in the world that are in sort of food poverty, um, so it helps them. But because we're initiating sort of person-to-person contact and, and building relationships and building friendships, people who have previously been socially isolated, you know, they get to meet people, they get involved in the community, and it's, it's much bigger than just sharing that bag of salad. You got any more anecdotes? This sounds like a crazy community. I mean, a crazy in a good way, a very interesting way. Yeah. Tell, me, tell me some more anecdotes. I think the things that we... The worst ones and the nicest ones that we get on on a scarily regular basis are people who have become isolated in their community. They do not know where their next meal is coming from. Some people message in and they haven't eaten in days and they've discovered Olio and they have found a neighbor that's, you know, sharing a, a meal that maybe they overcooked and going to collect it and just the outpouring of um, happiness and gratitude that that was available. And then you, they talk about then how that, you know, that one little step allowed them to give them the confidence to do something else and to then become a volunteer and then to get involved in a food waste hero squad. And, you know, you can see people's lives changing and it's, one of the most wonderful things you've ever experienced to get one of those emails. Not a funny one, I'm afraid, <laughs> but they are truly amazing stories that we get. Yeah, I've talked to a number of companies where there is a facet of volunteerism to building the product that they're building. So I used to answer a lot of questions on Quora. And, you know, Quora is this question and answer platform. And if you answer a lot of questions and you develop a, a good reputation in some subject for answering particular questions, they name you a top writer. And then the t- being a top writer gives you some benefits, like, you know, you, they send you a t-shirt and they send you some, some books or, you know, stuff like that. But they have ways of, of rewarding the volunteers who are basically helping them build their platform. Can you tell me more about the process of of interacting with the volunteers? Because the volunteers are are such an important layer of scalability for Olio. 
Yeah, so we have a private volunteer uh, volunteer Facebook group where we discuss and we we let them know about things early so that you know they can feed back. So you know they have buy into new features and they get to shape the audio that they want to create as well. We have events, so they've mostly been focused in London, but I believe we've done a couple in Stockholm in Sweden as well, where we'll have kind of a volunteer picnic. So we'll you know all meet up and everyone brings some food and it's all shared. We've had drinks in London and obviously, you know, these kind of things to show, you know, to help the volunteers are a community within a community. So getting them involved in events as well and, and all sharing ideas is quite cool. But we regularly communicate with them, you know, uh, there's often contact with them. But yeah, they definitely are the most important thing about Olio and, and finding ways to make their lives easier, but also make they are part of Olio. They are like extra members of the team and their being part of Olio is, is paramount. Do you feel like the product has enough momentum that it's growing naturally or is there still a need to do some degree of marketing? So in certain areas, it is going itself, especially when you, the volunteers are involved. So London certainly is, you know, it's just snowballing now. Um, bringing up communities in other areas does take marketing. So we have brought a couple of people on in on the West Coast of the US, so sort of uh, San Francisco area. We are working with a business in the north of England, and we have someone there building a community. We were involved in the UK. There was a television program called Waste Not with a famous chef on it. And a big supermarket chain called Sainsbury's was involved in trying to reduce the food waste of this town. We They funded a community member staff for us up there. And she started off with one Sainsbury's. And in the end, they asked her to work with several others in that area. And that got it going. But yes, yeah, certainly the initial trying to build a big community initially does take some effort either someone on the ground or some specific marketing you know also seeding the supply as well so if you look at a restaurant and there's no one in there eating you are less inclined to go in there whereas if you walk past a restaurant with you know several people eating there you're more you're more inclined to go and try that restaurant and it's the same for having things on olio when you first visit it to encourage you and get you interacting you and I were talking before the show about how you used to work at Amazon, and, and I spent some time there as well. How does working at Olio, which is a pretty early stage startup with some traction, but some, you know, a kind of an indeterminate business model, I'm sure you're heavily involved in the business side of things as well as the technical side of things. How does that existential experience compare between being an engineer at Amazon and being an engineer on this very new company? Yeah, so for me, actually, Amazon was a bit of a blip in my career. So I previously worked for uh, lots of startups where I was like employee number five. I went from very, very tiny companies to Amazon, which is massive. And then I've gone back to a very, very tiny company. For me, working at, I mean, Amazon was an amazing experience and I loved it. But while I was sat at my desk one day, an email came in and everything about Olio was like, tick, 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 tick. Yes, yes, yes. This is everything I want to do with my life. What I do love about startups is that you are involved in everything. You know, if one day that, you know, you need to help with some marketing stuff, you, you know, you it's all hands on deck. 
Um, I do love that kind of just that intimate knowledge of all parts of the business, which you don't get when you work for a bigger company. But I also love being able to influence and you know change how the business is running at this level. So um, you know, also have people with different experiences affect how we do things in tech. So it could be someone from the volunteer group that you know comes up with a, a suggestion that we hadn't thought about it, and actually that's a much much better solution than any of us has ever considered. So I I love that interaction and. You know, people with different ex- life experiences bring different things to the table. And, I, and with a really small, tight-knit team like Olio, that's that's really great, especially given that everyone in the company is so mission-aligned. So what are the big engineering problems that you're most focused on right now? So right now, we're shifting all our efforts. So if we are doing one more release on our current mobile app platform. And then all focus is 100% shifting to building this new version in React Native. But at the same time, we are, we've just recruited a couple of new developers who are coming in to pretty much focus on automating the, the volunteer experience. So, so our team, our community managers can now go off and, and start you know, working on the next steps and growing that side of the business as well. So yeah, two-pronged. React Native development and more work for supporting our volunteers. Well, this has been really interesting. What do you see as in the future for Olio? What are the big developments that you you see on a business level? Yeah, so I think with the Series A investment, we have some goals from our investors to sort of grow the platform and sort of improve our sort of uh, number of food articles posted and number of collections and anything like that. The really great thing about the investors that we brought on is they're all impact investors. They're not looking to get money straight out of Olio. You know, they want to make a change in the world, which is specifically why the founders went out and worked so hard to find these investors. But that gives us some time to sort of work on improving the app and improving the experience before we then start having to to monetize. We're in that wonderful part of our life cycle where that's not the main focus, but that is going to be a major challenge in a couple of years time. You know, something we're going to have to plan for a couple of years in order to do and to make sure that we don't so we obviously we have a lot of vulnerable people on the app, so we can't monetize the point where we are no longer serving them. And also, if we monetize in the wrong way, it will actually reduce the you know increase the amount of food waste because people won't be posting or they don't want to share it. So it's kind of more of a, a business issue, but finding a way to start making money from the business without degradating the experience for our current users. Have you looked at the Craigslist model? I haven't personally, but maybe something we're looking at. Do you have more information that you could share? No, I, well, not a ton. I just, I remember I actually talked to a, a different kind of company that's in, in a similar situation. So like Free Code Camp. I don't know if you've heard of Free Code Camp, but this is like this online way that if you want to learn to code, you can learn from Free Code Camp. It's a huge community. And a lot of people are learning to code through there. It's entirely open source. And the guy that runs it, Quincy Larson, is a friend of mine. It's always funny just talking to him about how he thinks about the business, because it's not a charity. It is a business, I think, unless things have changed since we last spoke. But he's in a similar situation where they don't want to change the flavor of it. Like, they don't want to make it into something where it's exploitative to 
the people who who make up the fabric of the community. So they do something where I think they make most of their money off of people who find jobs. You know, after you go through Free Code Camp and you've learned to code, then maybe Free Code Camp gets you a job, and you know, Free Code Camp gets a referral fee, and then it's win win win, which is great. I think what Craigslist does, Craigslist is this big community billboard platform thing that's been around for like 20 years or probably longer. So Quincy from Free Code Camp was telling me about how he looks at Craigslist and thinks about Craigslist as, as a potential model for something to, you know, just to take inspiration from. But I think Craigslist monetizes such a small fraction of their users, people who are looking for apartments in New York, like just specifically people looking for apartments in New York, they are served advertisements. So some super small percentage of people on Craigslist see advertisements. So maybe it's something like, you know, you have these food waste heroes, these restaurants that are giving away food, you know, excess food that would otherwise go to waste. And, you know, maybe there's some opportunity to like have them be advertised for in the app. You know, it's like if you have other people who are giving away food, you know, some high income people who are giving away food or giving away roofing supplies, maybe you can advertise these restaurants to them or something like that. I'm sure there's, you know, if you have a big enough. Yes, it's kind of learn about our users and and sort of trying to ascertain their, their demographic i guess and then if we work out that they're not somebody in need or someone struggling then yeah show them some advertising but there's lots of ways that we could look at this and it's it's going to be very interesting to see what we come out with and what works and what doesn't work but the one nice thing about olio is we try things and if they fail then we we feedback and we you know try something else and we'll keep trying until we find the right mixture how aggressively are you hiring right now? Not very aggressively. So one thing that's very important to us is mission fit. We actually met up for the one of the first times ever as an entire team because we're, we're all uh, remote about a month ago. And it was amazing to see just how much we all were really, really focused on what we do. There wasn't anyone that was there because it was a job or because they just enjoyed sort of marketing. They enjoyed marketing, but really cared about the mission of reducing food waste and, and you know helping the environment, things like that. And so we turn away so many people because we really want to find someone that cares about the same things we do because well quite frankly if they didn't they'd be bored by our company chat (laughs) because we are constantly you know sharing environmental things reducing plastic waste even someone having their breakfast eating a watermelon going like how can i not check this away and how can i make use of this so we really want to find people but we want to find the right people who care about the same things and even if you have a job that you you love there's always going to be hard times and if so you know if you care about the mission as well they will help steer you through those hard times as well can you become a non-profit or a b corporation yeah, so a b corp is something that's been mentioned a few times also we have a problem working with some companies as well because a lot of companies won't donate to people who aren't charities essentially so maybe a model we could look at is a a charity arm of olio that could then take the donations and and do everything that way but supported by a business so a lot of like like a lot of open source companies do as well you know they have their corporate sort of paid for area but they have their their open source project which is the the focus of their work Cool. Well, Lloyd, it's been really great talking to you. I am fascinated by Olio, and I look forward to the future developments of the company. 
Yeah, cool. And, you know, please feel free to post your bag of salad or a pack of lentils and uh, have your magical oleo moment. <laughs> I think I will. Maybe I'll shop around a little bit. I am getting a little bit hungry. <laughs> well, there you go. You never know what you'll find. And I also need a new roof. Oh, well, yeah, definitely. That's your place to go. It's, it's <laughs> like the roofsdirect.com of peer-to-peer apps. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, Lloyd Watkin, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks very much. Nice to meet you. Wow.